This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. This week, I'm sitting down with Brad Cardinal. Brad is the owner of Cardinal MMA here in Calgary. He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Roy Harris. And he's the former lightweight champion in Legacy Fighting Championship, Rec MMA, and Rumble in the Cage. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Kenny. So just to start us off, can you talk me through a little bit of your martial arts background? You know, how did you get into martial arts as a whole? Was it MMA right off the start? Uh, you know, how did that all develop for you? Uh, no, actually, martial arts has changed a lot. I'm pretty old. I'm a lot older than I probably looked. Um, when I started training, we were doing Taekwondo back in the day. And that was kind of the, uh, the newest cutting edge technology. None of us knew about grappling. That was, was going to be 10 years down the road. Um, so we were doing uh, punching and kicking. We weren't really hitting each other. We were doing a lot of no contact stuff, a lot of patterns and forms, uh, good training, but, but not what we do today. It was a lot different. Yeah. So, okay. And then, uh, how did you end up getting into fighting then? Like how did Taekwondo turn into MMA and, you know, everything you've built from there? Uh, well, I guess the, the, the biggest change in martial arts came with the, the UFC in 1993. Um, the kids today, they're, they're watching MMA. They don't really, a lot of them don't really understand how different martial arts was and how different training was uh, before 1993. We, we used to do a lot of traditional martial arts and there's nothing wrong with that. They have their place and they're actually a great training tool. A lot of MMA fighters, modern MMA fighters are going back to them now. Um, but the way we used to train them wasn't always the best way for you know practical fighting. And so uh, that had to change. But the UFC showed us that we had a lot of blind spots and uh, the, the most interesting thing for me was the psychological aspect of that because it split the community kind of down the middle. You, you had people that, um, for, for the people that don't understand, when, when, when the UFC happened, most people thought that unarmed combat would look like the movie Bloodsport. They thought we were going to see a lot of sweet spin kicks and people getting their faces ripped off. Uh, what it ended up looking like was the missionary position in the middle of a cage. And then a guy would tap out. Nobody understood why. Um, <laughs> People used to get really mad because this, uh, this skinny Brazilian guy was choking out these juice monkeys and everything. nobody understood it. They didn't, they didn't understand it. Um, so you had people that thought the Taekwondo guy or the karate guy was going to knock everybody out. And that guy got choked in like 30 seconds. They had, a, they had a choice to make. They had, they had to decide if they were going to adapt to the new information or if they were going to live in denial. And it split the community. About half the people lived in denial. I remember people used to tell us that the fights were fake or that they're handpicking weak opponents or if they just put my instructor in there, he'd beat everybody. Right. <laughs> but that's, that, that wasn't true. Those people were just, they had, there's, I don't know, martial arts could turn into cults. I, I won't get into that. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of us adapted. A lot of us got into grappling. A lot of us adapted our training methods and that was kind of the birth of MMA. And then it, it changed and MMA has changed a lot in the last, I guess, 35 years. Yeah, of course. And I mean, it's like, it's funny because, you know, it, that's one of the things I find the most fascinating about watching it is like, I think one of the best examples was, uh, I can't remember what event it was now, but when Israel Adesanya fought Paulo Costa, you know, you've got this guy who's kind of tall and skinny. And then you've got this guy who's just like big and looks like a raging bull ready to get let loose. And I remember all of fight week Izzy's coming out. He's going, you know, yeah, for all those people who don't understand martial arts, like they're going to 
they're going to be looking at each other shocked after the fight going, oh, my God, the skinny guy beat the muscly guy. And just to understand that, you know, it's not just big muscles and brute strength. Like there's so much more to this game than just being the bigger, stronger guy that's going to come in and knock everyone out. And, uh, you know, obviously it played out really well for him there. So it's just I think that's such a such a great example of, you know, what you've been talking about there. Yeah, it can definitely go both ways, though. I mean, it's the classic yeah. hamburger versus hot dog. What's better, right? It, it depends. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I think it's, you know, like when, for people who don't understand, it's like, you know, you look at those two guys and, you know, you think, oh, who's going to win in a fight? Well, it's easy. You pick the big, strong looking guy who's just going to just going to dominate anybody. Right. But it's like there's so much more to it. And, you know, even working with fighters myself, it's been one of the biggest eye openers of, uh, you know, maybe don't mess with a random guy on the street because you never know who it is, like who it is standing right in front of you, you know. Yeah, that was the genius of Hoist Gracie. Uh, he was easy to market because he looked like your average guy, but he was far from average. Yeah, I mean, to say the least, he was far from average. Um, and then, so that was sort of the birth of MMA for you. And then what, like, what went into building your fight career? Like, you know, how did fighting start for you? And, you know, can you talk me through a little bit of like how your career as an actual, as a fighter went for you? Uh, okay. Um, again, I was lucky uh, when I started with traditional martial arts. My coach, uh, his name was Howard Stedman. Uh, he was a Taekwondo instructor, but he was he was different. He was controversial. He was kicked out of all the organizations. And uh, back in the day, uh, conditioning, lifting weights, and uh, like conditioning outside of your martial arts training was really looked down on. Everybody said that uh, lifting weights would make you slow and, and bulky. Um, oh, we still he hear that. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. He didn't agree with that. He had a weight room in his basement. And when I was 15 years old, he started me lifting weights and he had a squat rack. He had me doing his heavy squats when I was 15. Um, and so I, I was lucky. I, I had a really great coach who helped me learn about my body. And, and he taught me about nutrition. He taught me how to hunt. Um, he was a really interesting guy. Um, we trained together until I was about 21. And then I moved to the city. Um, we, we used to watch a lot of Mike Miles fight cards back in the day. Mike Miles was kind of the, um, he was the industry leader at the time and, and uh, he, he evolved this sport. Uh, we were doing a lot of just like point sparring and people weren't really hitting each other. He brought in like the, the tie boxing and the low kick kickboxing, probably Alberta and Western Canada promoted that all around. And so I used to go watch those shows. I loved watching them. And uh, Nick ring was somebody that really stood out um, because he was a tie boxer. He's a local guy that, that, you know, he was fun to watch. He used to beat the shit out of people. He was really fun to watch. And then when I noticed they started doing grappling tournaments in Calgary, his name came up winning grappling tournaments. And I, I recognized him from the, the kickboxing. And so when I moved to the city, I wanted to get into MMA. I didn't think it would be something that I'd ever get the opportunity to do, but they were doing it locally. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get close to it and see if an opportunity comes up. Maybe I can give it a try and, and maybe eventually do it. And I figured Nick would be the guy that would probably know the most. I knew, I knew he was a great kickboxer and I, I knew he was winning grappling competitions. So I figured he was probably the guy to find. Um, so I, I started with some Brazilian jiu-jitsu training for a bit. Um, I did that for about a year and a half. And then I eventually found a gym he was training at and started training with him. And uh, he was awesome. He was, he was a great coach. We became friends and teammates. And he taught me a ton about MMA. Uh, he cornered me for probably my first 15 fights. Um, and then, yeah, I was a, I mean, that, that's kind of when I started fighting after that. I started just training kickboxing and uh, jiu-jitsu at BDB Martial Arts. And then uh, eventually that turned into MMA. Man, that's awesome. And uh, so how long had you been training, like just, you know, all the disciplines before you actually took your first fight? About two years. Um, okay. I did some gi competition in the in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We would do every grappling competition that came up. Um, uh, 
in the beginning we would take, I, th I think I did uh, three or four continuous kickboxing tournaments, lots of grappling. Um, we did a little bit of competition before we got into, into fighting. Um, back when I started, there wasn't amateur fighting. You just started as a pro because the, the, the sport wasn't as developed. So we went yeah. pro that. Okay. And uh, yeah, cause that was going to be another question was what went into the decision to actually turn pro. But I guess if there was no such thing as amateur, then uh, that was a pretty, pretty easy choice to make. Yeah. We were just young, stupid idiots that wanted to fight. And the opportunity <laughs> I thought yeah so then actually that leads into the next question because i know obviously especially with fighting like you know it's one thing if you're going into a hockey game and you're not you know physically prepared for it worst thing is you know you let in a couple more goals and your team loses in fighting obviously that can have a lot bigger consequences you know if you're going into a fight not prepared you can get knocked out you can get submitted all these like all these dangerous things can happen to you so was it just sort of we want to fight, so let's do it. Or like, what was kind of going through your head deciding, okay, it's time to take that first fight. Like, you know, what's kind of, what, what did make that decision for you? I was only going to do one. Uh, I, I just wanted the experience. I wanted to try it. I never thought I would get the opportunity to try it. And then I was at a gym where guys were doing fights uh, and the coach asked me if I wanted to try one. And I thought, you know what? I do. I want to try this. Uh, so I, I took my first fight. It was against a guy down in uh, Victoria. Um, we drove down there. It was in a ring. It was in an old promotion called uh, the WFF. Um, I don't know if you remember the Shudo organization from Japan. They used to do, a, they had probably like amateur MMA. There's a lot of opinions about amateur MMA, but I think the Shudo organization in Japan, if, if you wanted to make a good uh, amateur organization, just copy that and call it something else. I think they had her dial. So they, they brought the Shudo organization to Canada and we were doing Shudo fights out, out in Victoria. So that was my first fight. Um, I don't think I was prepared. I mean, none of us were. We used to train completely wrong. We used to put on four-ounce gloves and fight. That, that, was, our, that was our training. Uh, some of us did conditioning. Some of us didn't. Up until my third fight, I was smoking cigarettes. Uh, it, we weren't athletes. We were a bunch of goons. Like, that, that's one of the biggest differences between the original MMA and, and modern MMA is that I remember the locker room back in the day. We weren't necessarily the most athletic guys. We were probably just a bunch of lunatics that were willing to just fight each other for a little bit of money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's elite athletes. You get guys that could make a lot of money in other sports coming into MMA and, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is funny hearing the evolution, right? Because, I mean, like, I remember even off topic, but, uh, like, I remember seeing a picture of the quarterback in the first ever Super Bowl smoking a cigarette at halftime. Uh, or like between quarters or something. But yeah, like I remember seeing that picture and it just like, it cracked me up because yeah, the evolution of athletics as a whole, right? It's just like every year there's something new. There's a new training method. There's new nutrition secrets. Like everything's always kind of coming out and changing like that, right? Yeah. And uh, so then as your career progressed, you know, like obviously you had, I believe, 24, 25 pro fights, if I remember correctly. Something like that. I don't remember either, but it was lots yeah, something like that. But uh, can you talk about sort of like how that mindset progressed for you? Like, did you feel like you're, you know, obviously in the beginning, you guys are, as you said, just lunatics that wanted to throw gloves on and fight each other for a little bit of money. But like, how did that kind of change for you as the career went on? Uh, well, honestly, like it was never something I considered to be like something I was going to do for a living. That the money yeah. was never, we were buying houses with our money we were making from MMA. But it was just so much fun. And I, I, I kind of wanted to be a martial arts instructor that I kind of knew early that that was something I wanted to do. So I figured the best thing I could do would be to gather as much experience as I could. And Nick ring was a good uh, influence on me. He, uh, he was the same age as me, but he taught me so much. Um, 
he had a lot of martial arts experience and I'll never forget. We had a, we had a conversation once it was around my third or my fourth fight. And uh, remember the show, the ultimate fighter, it was right when it first came out. Yeah. Uh, season five was lightweights and I was a lightweight and uh, I'd had like, I don't know, three or four fights. I, don't, I didn't think I was ready to try out for the ultimate fighter. And Nick asked me, they were, they were doing an audition in Florida and Nick came to me and he asked me if, uh, if I booked my ticket to Florida yet. And I told him I hadn't. And he asked me what I was thinking. He's like, they're doing an audition for the show that in your weight class in Florida. Why don't you go? And I gave him a bunch of excuses. I don't have any money. I don't, you know what I mean? I got to work on Monday. And, and he, he sat me down and he looked me in the face and he took the time and he told me, he said, Brad, there's two types of people in the world. There's people that do stuff and there's people that talk about doing stuff. He's like, which one do you want to be? He's like, think about it. You know what? You know, your friends look, think about the people, you know, who are the ones that sit around drinking beer, talking about things they're going to do or things that they didn't do because of whatever. And he goes, and who are the guys that really go and do stuff? Which one do you want to be like, make the decision. And I didn't have a vehicle at the time. He drove me from Calgary to out to Exxon to my parents' house so we could get my passport. He phoned our boss at the time and got me a sponsorship so I could afford a ticket. And I went down and tried out. I didn't get on the show, but what we learned from doing what I learned from doing that was the difference between doers and talkers. And then after that, I, I decided, you know, I was a little bit more um, intentional about what I wanted to do with the sport. And I decided I'd set some goals for myself about what I wanted to do. And then I set out after him and I got most of them. Yeah. I mean, like, that's an awesome story. Cause I mean, I think that's uh, like, that's a huge lesson for anybody, right? Like that's, that's so true. There are two types of people, the ones who do stuff and the ones who talk about doing stuff. And you know, funny enough, I've had this like a similar concept talked about a lot on this show in previous episodes. It's, you know, something that motivates a lot of high level athletes is not wanting to be that guy sitting around in their hometown at 50 talking about, well, you know, I could have done this or I could have gone there. Like they're just like, no, like I wanted to be the guy that's coming back to my hometown at 40 or 50 saying, yeah, I did it. You know, you guys are all sitting around talking about how you could have done it. I went out and actually did it. So it's cool hearing that, you know, that was a, that was a big change for you in your career too. Yeah. It uh, really helps that get my mindset right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So like what kind of things shifted once you sort of had that mindset shift, you know, about like whether it was the approach to training, the approach to the actual fight, like what kind of things changed for you in that, in the, at that time? Well, we were pro, like our status was pro. And this is about when amateur fighting started to happen. And so I kind of had to make a decision, like, am I really going to do this for a bit? And like, am I going to commit to this? And if I did, like, I had to kind of go pro, you know what I mean? I had to be in the gym, like it was a job. So I quit my job. That was, that took a lot. Um, and I, I put a lot of time into training. I, I started teaching and we actually got jobs as bouncers, which is hilarious. Cause I'm a tiny guy and not very, <laughs> but, uh, that, that's what we used to do. And, and it, it freed up my day. And, we would do like two to three sessions a day. Um, I didn't really like training. Conditioning was hard. It was something that like, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I love training, but to train like a professional, it's not fun. It sucks. Uh, you have to miss pretty much every, uh, every party that happens. Um, any, any, any event where there's going to be girls and people having fun, you don't get to go. Like you have, you have to be at the gym. You have to, you're eating changes. Uh, you have to think about your sleep. Um, it was a lifestyle change, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one thing that a lot of people do overlook, right? And one of the thing, one of the reasons that I really want to start this show is talking about those, those issues, you know, kids, I find look at professional athletes, and they see, you know, all the fame, the glory, the fancy cars, the millions of dollars that they're making and all of that. 
and they think, oh, I want that, but they don't see just what you talked about, right? The sacrifices, the missing the parties on the weekend, the not getting to, you know, go out and have fun. The like, they don't see the things you miss to make those things happen. You know what I mean? They should follow uh, around to the camera after he gets, a, he takes a beating and like see what a guy looks like post concussion and like healing his body and the depression, like show that. And a lot more people, less, less people would want to do this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I remember one, uh, one in particular was after Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker fought and there was a, I can't remember what it was. It might've been ESPN. They had a little clip of like following the two of them after the fight and like, man, I remember seeing Dan Hooker after that fight and like, it was just, you know, beaten, bloodied up all of that. And like, he's like, they asked him if he could do an interview and he's just kind of like shaking his head off as he's kind of being helped off to his locker room. And like, it was, it was eye opening for sure. Like you see the action happen, but to see, you know, the aftermath of it all is, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely an eye opening experience. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so with this lifestyle change, obviously, like, you know, you're taking things a little bit more seriously now. Uh, how did that change as far as, you know, the progression of your career? Like, you know, what kind of differences are you noticing now in the cage uh, fight to fight? Like, are you, what kind of, what kind of things are changing for you? Um, well, I started to, to beat guys that I didn't initially think I was good enough to beat. Like there was a, for, for some reason, there's so, there's an illusion of television. I don't know if it's that way anymore. I don't know if kids watch TV anymore. But back in the day, like TV, like if some, somebody fought on TV, it was like a big deal. And I'll never forget the first time I fought a guy that was, I'd seen him fight on TV. And he beat the, beat the sense out of this guy. Like he beat this guy down. And then one time I got a message from my manager at the time, who's uh, Lee Mian. And he's like, hey, do you want to fight this guy? Do you want to fight so-and-so? And I looked at it. And in my mind, I'm like, nope, I don't want to fight that guy. <laughs> But my thumb texted back yes and and so now i'm gonna fight this guy right and i, I really didn't want to do it but uh, i just you know you, you commit to it and, and you put in the work and you have to face your fear there's one of my favorite quotes is from uh joseph campbell and it's, it's i don't want to screw this up uh the cave you fear the, the cave you fear holds the treasure you seek and so like sometimes things that scare you you have to you have to do them. There's, there's a reason they scare you and there's a reason you need to do them. And that, that's what I felt like this fight was. And I got through it. I actually beat the guy without taking a punch. And I, I felt really good. It, you know, it was something that I, I didn't really visualize that happening, but it was, it was a big confidence booster. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Especially like, you know, it is funny how guys have that kind of impression of people, right? It's like, well, I've seen him, levels above me so there's no way i could be on his level but then you got to realize that you know there's probably somebody out there looking at you thinking the same thing that's you know just right here and you never know right so it's uh it's cool to be able to kind of face that and especially come out on top of the way you did too yeah it was cool and um then the other the other thing as well because i've always been curious you know this is it's one thing to be in there and fighting. It's a whole other thing when there's championships on the line and things like that. And like I said, in the intro, like you've had three different lightweight championships. Was there any changes going into preparation for these fights compared to, you know, other ones in your career? And uh, what was the, what was the pressure like? Like how was that experience different than just your average fight? The, the pressure, there's always pressure because of the, in the MMA, I mean, because of the consequences of or if you it up, you're going to take a beating, right? Yeah. Um, it's not just a bad day at work. Like if you're lucky, you're going to get choked. Do you know what I mean? But probably you're going to get held down and pummeled. Um, so, so you don't, you don't really want to lose. It's not a, not a great day to lose. Um, there's always pressure. Uh, when for my most important fights and especially near like the, the end of kind of my career, um, 
something that I made a, that I changed was uh, I, I made a trip down to Lethbridge and I started training with Lee Mean at the Canadian Martial Arts Center. And uh, that was kind of something I wish, I wish I had done that a lot earlier. Lee, Lee's someone who uh, he's at every show. He's got, you know, he's fight. He still fights. Um, he's yeah. in his fifth and he still fights. He's got every card in Alberta. He's got fighters on. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's been doing it since the very beginning. The first show in Alberta in Canada was rumble in the cage. Um, you know, he, he's kind of our OG in, in Canada and to go down and, and hang out with him and just absorb kind of, he taught me a lot about conditioning for fighting about like everything. He, he was kind of like, put it all together for me. Um, up until I started training with Lee, I felt like I was doing separate disciplines and, and like piecemealing this thing together. And then when, when I started training with Lee really seriously, he streamlined it and showed me the, the animal that is MMA. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's, not, it's not wrestling plus boxing plus jujitsu. It, it's MMA. It's its own thing. And when he showed me that it really clicked in and it really helped me understand what we were doing. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, you know, that's one thing that even through my own career in strength and conditioning, I've really been coming to learn over the past few years is you never want to try to pretend that, you know, you're the guy with all the answers, right? It's like, you've always got to be trying to find, you know, somebody who can teach you that next little step. And like in the beginning, I used to think that, you know, it showed weakness to not have all the answers. And then I realized that like, by actually reaching out and trying to find people that can continue to help teach me, if anything, it shows the athletes I work with that I'm in it for their best interest because I'm always trying to improve, which is only going to help them improve too. You know, from the athlete side, if you're training and you're trying to pretend like, oh, it's, what I'm doing is perfect and what I'm doing is working as well as it has to, well, you're limiting yourself, right? Like you're, you're missing out on information out there that, you know, not every piece of information is going to apply to you perfectly, but everyone like somebody can teach you something else nobody has all the answers right so to be able to reach out to a guy like that and learn from him you know clearly had an effect for you and i think it's a great idea for athletes everywhere to be doing right yeah yeah absolutely um like i said lee's a genius he's been around forever he was when, when i fought for particularly my title in in uh, quebec i fought in quebec for the rec mma title i remember before the fight um Lee, first he made me suffer on a treadmill two weeks before. That was completely horrible, but I needed that. I needed to understand what conditioning needed to feel like. He, he pushed me the hardest out of any coach I ever had. Uh, whenever I trained with Lee, my conditioning was the best it ever was. Um, but I'll never forget before that fight, we didn't train a whole lot before that fight, but a couple of times he, we got together and he showed me two or three things. I don't know what it was. He looked at me before the fight and he read what I needed to do. And he showed me two or three things that, that made the difference in that fight. And he did that a couple of times. So, uh, it was, he always showed me the best stuff. It was, I'll never, never be able to thank him enough for that. That's awesome. I mean, I love hearing stuff like that where like, you know, he's just kind of able to read what you need. Right. It's like, that's a, that's such a cool concept as a coach to think about, like just being able to look and go, okay, like you need to know this, this, and this, and then actually have it come out and make the difference for you. Right. Yeah. I want to take a quick break now to thank our sponsor, Perfect Sports. It is support like they are providing that allows small companies like mine to continue to deliver free content to all of you. Today, I want to talk about Creed Whey Protein Isolate. Creed Protein provides 26 grams of protein, 2 grams of carbs, and 1 gram of fat with every serving. Creed also goes through a more advanced process to instantize the powder. What this means is that it will mix easier into a shaker cup to avoid the big clumps we so often find in our shakes. This not only means that your shake will taste better, but this process will also help your body better absorb all of the macronutrients included in Creed. 
Creed is also extremely well known for the incredible flavor choices that Perfect Sports have come up with, including their newest vanilla cupcake and triple rich dark chocolate. So for a great tasting protein with a full variety of macronutrients, give Creed a try. To check it out, along with all the other top quality products that Perfect Sports have to offer, check out www.perfectsports.com and use my discount code Kenny20, that's K-E-N-N-Y-2-0, for 20% off all your purchases. Now, let's get back to the episode. And then I want to talk to you as well, obviously, about the gym you're running now and, you know, your evolution into coaching. So, like, when did you first get into really coaching full-time? You said that, you you know, it was early on that you realized that you wanted to be a coach. You know, how did that come to be for you? And then how did Cardinal MMA come to be as well? Um, I've been teaching since when I turned 18, I was, I was still doing Taekwondo and my old instructor, he let me cover classes when he could, he couldn't make it. He worked full time. Martial arts doesn't have a lot of money. So he worked full time. And so I would, uh, I would teach his classes when he couldn't make it. Um, and then, uh, after that, when I started doing MMA, I was at, I was at BDB martial arts, which is now champions creed. And I, I, d- I did some teaching there, um, with Nick and Brian. And then, uh, I left there to go to Lethbridge for a while. I was training down in Lethbridge with Lee for a bit. And then when I came back to Calgary in, I guess that would be 2013 after the flood, I came back here and I started my own club. Um, I started in a, in a fitness center. I rented like a small corner in a fitness center. And I had, I think 30 mats and it was my ex-girlfriend and my buddy. And uh, it was three of us on the mats. We started, it was hilarious. Um, and it, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, you know, I wanted to pretend like I knew what I was doing and I was doing my best, um, but it was kind of like ready fire aim. You know what I mean? I was, I was figuring it out as it went, which is sort of, I think the best way to do it sometimes. Um, through it all though, I mean, we've been at it now eight years. It's grown. Um, we ended up at Mike miles for a little bit. He gave me an opportunity. So I was at Mike miles for a year and a half. Um, I was super grateful for that opportunity. Working there was very, very good to me. Um, I got to learn a lot. We still have a good relationship with them. A lot of the fighters that train with me still train with the John miles over at Mike miles. Um, and, but, but I had an opportunity while I was there to get my own place. And I wanted to do that because then there was a couple things I needed that, that I didn't have there and a padded wall, things like that. So now I have kind of my own digs and I'm able to run my own programming and kind of like what you touched on earlier. Like um, I, I called it Cardinal MMA, but um, it's not because of my name. When, when I was trying to name this thing, I had a bunch of names that I thought were good names, but everybody I told, they said, no, don't call it that. That's stupid. Um, so I was trying to think about like what we do. And when you look at like the sport of MMA, um, the philosophy that I kind of follow is that it's this infinite field of you can do whatever you want. And the best way to approach it is you're going to have to keep it simple. You're going to have to find out what the fundamentals are, what your, your primary principles you're playing with and keep it as simple as you can. And so I was, I was looking in a thesaurus for like words like that to think about, like I'm looking up like simple primary. And I, I didn't know that that's what Cardinal meant. And uh, I thought, like, I'm imagining in my head, like, it's a little red bird. And I'm like, I don't want a stupid little red bird for my logo. And I'm looking at it. And uh, I'm looking at, like, cardinal means, like, primary, uh, simple, of prime importance. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, talk about taking the long way. So uh, yeah, really. I just called it cardinal MMA because that, that's kind of my approach is we keep everything really simple, really basic. We focus on the fundamentals. Um, and, uh, yeah, so at the gym, anyways, we, we I guess what we do is we train the uh, – the sport of MMA, but we train it like a martial art, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like obviously MMA itself is not a single martial art, but you're trying to incorporate all of them into one art instead of training all the different ones separately. If I, 
yeah, so, gather, gather what you're saying. Yeah. In the nineties, when we started doing this, we all used to train, we'd all train at like five different gyms. You've got to go to the wrestling club. You got to do some boxing. You got to do some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, you know, you better be wrestling. Um, what, what we learned, like it, it kind of evolved into its own thing. Now, now we understand what the fundamentals of MMA are. If you go to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu club, very often you're going to be training in a gi. You're going to be training like for a gi competition. That's not necessarily the same. Um, when I was doing jiu-jitsu, I remember I had three game plans. I had like my grips and my positions that I use with the gi, what I do without a gi, and then what I do with wearing gloves and punching and elbowing each other. And they're all different. Fundamentally, like most of the, the movements I'm doing are the same, but the, the application is different. If you're training with like brain damage on the line, you want to be sure, you want to be sharp. So I kind of figured I wanted to streamline this and, and make a, a style that I could train that would make it good for the cage. And so that, that's kind of what MMA is. It's like we take out the things that are not really applicable to MMA and we just train MMA stand-up, clinching, ground fighting, wall fighting. That's what we train. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Like as much as it's great to learn all the individual arts, if you know that you're trying to apply it to MMA, it's setting your athletes up to perform. They don't need to be doing these things that don't apply to the sport as much. They need to be focused on the things that when they step into the cage are actually going to come into play for them. Right. That's it. Um, you know, and that's, sorry, go ahead. Okay. I think one of the things that um, kind of sets us apart is that very often, if you come into the gym, I'm not teaching it. it like it seems I'm there, but like, um, like you said earlier, sometimes there's, there's other people that their voices are going to kind of be better. We, we have Justin Bazra on the team. He's kind of our secret weapon. He's not a secret weapon at all. There's no secret about it. He was an incredible wrestler here in Calgary. I think he was top six in the country in his weight class. He did MMA and he was undefeated as an amateur and a pro. He's got titles in both. Uh, we got Tim Smith. Tim's been, uh, he was a unified champion. He was the the fight club champion. He's got, he's got four or five titles and about 30 MMA fights. Um, so like there's other guys in there with a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and we're all very different stylistically. So very often I'll let Tim take the wheel or I'll let Justin take the wheel. And uh, we have Doug Fink, Doug's a jujitsu guy and a, a he owns Bushido tattoo, but he's an incredible martial artist. Um, he often is on the mats sharing what he knows. And, and so it's kind of a, a collaboration of a bunch of unique lunatics. Well, <laughs> and I mean, I love that too, though, because again, like, you know, I think it show it goes to show what you've got as a coach to be able to bring people on that you trust to also take the wheel for you. Right. Because again, now all of your athletes, instead of just going off of your mind, they're going off of your mind, your experience, but also the minds and the experience of all these other people. So, you know, they're getting five coaches inputting on how they're going to be able to step into the cage at their best instead of just going off of one. And I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Like you can, you know, you can be the head guy, but you, if you're trying to do everything, well, it might work for some people, but it might not work for others. So having all these other minds on it, I think is definitely the right way to go. Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility being the only guy in charge too. You know what I mean? I don't know that anybody wants that, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's like, it's a tough position to put yourself in, but it's like, it's, it just goes to show, I think, the mindset you take towards your athletes and how you're, you know, you're truly in it to find the best for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, so now, actually, I want to talk to you about your athletes, because obviously, as you know, I train a bunch of them in strength and conditioning. Now, uh, it seems like every second day I've got another Cardinal MMA athlete hitting me up on Instagram or email. And uh, it's been awesome. Like, I've, I've loved bringing your guys in. They've, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what the what the future holds for them. 
but uh, you must be doing something right. They're loving it. And they, they keep talking about it. So, <laughs> well, man, I'm glad. Cause you know, like you touched on before, it's uh, it's a pretty common thing, especially in combat sports to hear people say, you know, well, lifting weights is going to make me slow and, you know, doing all these things. But like you talked about of, you know, training MMA as a martial art, instead of just all the separate disciplines, like the approach that needs to be taken towards strength and conditioning is setting at setting an athlete up to perform, you know, bringing them in and pushing them absolutely as hard as I can with every workout, trying to, you know, make them do a hundred reps of this and a thousand reps of that. It's just not practical because it's beating them up to the point that later when they're going to see you and they've got, you know, practice for whatever, whatever you've got that night, they're too tired to do anything. And now, even if you're in really great shape, if you haven't actually trained the martial arts, you're not going to do well when you step in the cage. So it's learning to find the balance of what can we do that's going to help them perform when they're practicing and then when they're fighting too, right? Yeah. I'm glad you have a really good understanding of that. I'm looking forward to what we can do, man. So. Yeah, man, me as well. I'm really, I'm really excited to see this continue to grow. Um, and for these guys though, when you're working with them, what do you need to see from a fighter before advising them to take a fight? Like if somebody's coming in and they want to fight, you know, what's sort of your view on, okay, now you're ready. And I think we could take that step. Okay. This, this is going to be controversial, but, um, I'm going to just let her rip. Some of my fighters yeah. are going to do this for the first time and it, it may, uh, we may get some laughs out of this. I'm not your dad. Um, I'm, I'm another set of eyes on the wheel. I'm, I'm not there to be your dad. I'm not a substitute for your dad. You're, most of my fighters are grown adults. So I let them make their own choices. I'm not a manager. I'm not very good at returning emails and things like that. So uh, most of my guys manage themselves. I have some, some athletes that I work with that are, uh, We've been working together a long time and we have a rapport and we have a trust in each other. John Moore, Stephen Thomas, and um, guys like that. They've been with me for a bunch of years, Mac Larson. Um, we trust each other. We have a good relationship. I don't tell them what to do. If they, if they want to take a fight, I don't tell them yes or no. They usually come to me with, with an offer and we discuss it. I've got some guys on my team that'll come to me and tell me they've booked their own fight. Um, I'm not super against that. I'm, I'm not really pro that. I think if, if we don't talk about it, I might not corner you. Like if, if, uh, if you book your own fight, book your own corner too. Um, I, I want the best for them, obviously. If they're on my team and my guys, I'm going to help them out. But they're driving the car. You know what I mean? I'm an extra set of eyes. I'm in the passenger seat. I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. That, that's, those are your choices to make. You're a grown adult. If you want to take a fight, I'll walk down and let you take a life, life lesson. I'll certainly sit in it. If you don't want to train for it properly, I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to like lose sleep and go out of my – you know what I mean? that that's your decision, but I'll give you every opportunity. I'll give you everything you need, but you have to show up. And if you don't, I'll still walk to the cage. No problem. It's uh, I, I want to see you do it. I want to, I want to see what, what you can bring from you. And yeah, for some people that doesn't work for some people. Um, it, it doesn't work for them. That's okay. I'm just not their coach, but for the ones that it does, I think, I think we get some, the, the self-motivated guys that can, that can find that fire within themselves. And it, it brings now, now we can collaborate. They're, they're bringing half the energy. We can do something cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, honestly, you know, when you said this is going to be controversial, I was a little worried, but I love that. Like to me, that's the approach that it needs to be because if your coach is more invested in your success than you are, that's a problem. Yep. And you know, like you said, you're going to be there. You're going to give them everything that you can possibly give them, but you're not going to force them because again, you know, if you're trying to build a career as an athlete, it needs to come from you. There's nobody else that it can come from. And if it is coming from other people, that career is not lasting long. So like, I always try to take the same approach in training here. It's like, I'm not going to be the guy that 
yells and screams at you for missing training. It's your decision to miss training. You know, I prefer that you don't, because if we're trying to be successful, well, training is going to be a huge part of that, but I can't force you to be there. If you don't want to be there, you know, then like, again, like you said, I might not be your coach, but I'm going to give you everything I know how to give you. But if you're not willing to show up and actually do the work, that's an issue in itself. And that's an issue that the athlete needs to look deeply at themselves for. Yeah. So, so what I look for in guys that that are successful, I look for, I look for um, people that are dedicated. I look for people that come to practice. I look for people that are there, not just when they have a fight, but when their teammates have fights. I know that sounds like maybe a little thing, but martial arts is as much a team sport as, as it is an individual sport. And we all help each other. And we do have quite a, quite a tight team at my, at my place. And the guys, the guys are pretty good. The guys, the core guys that are there all the time, they're pretty good at helping each other out, uh, supporting each other in, in their fights and their training. Um, I look for people that, that compete a lot. I look for people that are down to, there are a lot of local grappling tournaments, a lot of local kickboxing tournaments. I think if you're not, even if you are fighting, if it's a little ways out, you should be doing those. You should be taking every opportunity to test yourself, to grow your skills, uh, some guys kind of get the diva mentality that like, Oh no, I'm a big fighter now. I'm only going to fight in the shows. Okay, cool. That, that's going to, that's going to come out in the wash down the road. You, you got to get serious. You got to be honest that the best way to do this is to be honest. And that's kind of to put your nuts in the fire a lot. You know what I mean? See what happens. And then, um, so, so that's what I look for. I look for guys that are not afraid to, uh, to put their nuts in the fire, I guess. Man, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, definitely a funny way to put it, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's like, you know, that's going to be a really important factor as well. Like I talk to guys that, you know, they're an athletes in any sport, not just, not just the fighters that I work with, but, you know, I talk to people that they almost feel like they're, you know, they're the man already, despite not being at the top level or not being, you know, like not being looked at that way outside of, you know, their small area in Calgary. And you know, yeah, you might be doing well at whatever level you're at right now, but the only way you're going to know if you're going to succeed when you hit that next level and that next level and that next level is testing yourself, putting yourself in a comfortable situation all the time with the same guys doing the same thing where you know you're going to be successful. It might make you feel, it might make you feel good today. It might make you feel good tomorrow, but you know, you hit that first big show and all of a sudden you're hitting guys that are, you know, way away from you that have been doing these different things and going above and beyond what you've been doing now all of a sudden you're uh, you're not going to be feeling too great about yourself when you realize that you know one local gym in Calgary wasn't the best in the world in all your competition, right? Totally. Yeah. And um, you can get to compete. I think like there's a lot of local grappling tournaments, and being honest, like you get the same nervous sense when you go out on the mat to do a grappling tournament than when you do an MMA fight. It's the same thing. So you may as well get used to that. You may as well take every opportunity you can to go out that go out there and experience that and to fight those nerves and to face those nerves and to compete. Yeah. Like Randy Couture once said that like, there's like your martial arts skills, there's your conditioning skills. And then like learning how to compete is a skill in itself. And I, I definitely believe that. And if you look at like on our mats, we have a Justin Basra, he comes from a wrestling background and in wrestling, they would compete every weekend. He's going meets every weekend to wrestle. And you see that in the way that he competes. I, I was lucky enough to corner him a couple of times and he's, he's a competitor, man. He's, he's like iron in the back. His mind is strong. His, he's ready to go at all times. And I can't say the same for everybody. Right. Of course. I think that comes from he's wrestled. He's put himself in the fire that many times. You know what I mean? That it's just another Saturday for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, just when you were talking about that, learning how to compete, the one that came to mind for me was Mac. Cause you know, I've been working with Mac for almost two years. And I remember like right from day one with him, it was just like, you know, he had a fight coming up in like two months when we started working together and like, 
you could tell from that first day, I was like, okay, like we're going to finish off with this for a conditioning session. And, you know, usually the first few times out, I've got to tell an athlete like, okay, come on, pick the intensity up a little bit. You got a little more in you. Mac Larson, man, like if anything, I was like, okay, man, like don't go that hard. You're going to pass out, like take it down a notch. <laughs> and Like it was, whether it's in the gym, whether it's actually fighting, like anything, I just like, I've always got that vision of like, he's ready to go and he's ready to go immediately. Yeah. He's a fighter, man. He's a real one. Oh yeah. And so like, it's just, it's always awesome. Those are my favorite kind of athletes to work with, man. It's the ones that, you know, if anything, I've got to be pulling them back to be like, no, no, like relax, take a, take a breath. Like, you know, and, uh, but I think those are the guys that are going to be successful too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, what you, what you sort of look like, what you sort of look for in guys ready to take a fight. And obviously your approach, like, I think that's the absolute perfect way. You know, you're not trying to be there and be a parent. You're, you know, you're an extra set of eyes. You're in the passenger seat. But when it comes to actually prepping for fights, do you have tips for, you know, young fighters out there, whether it's based off your experience actually fighting or your experience coaching now, like things that they should make sure they've got in place uh, things to look for before actually taking that first fight? <clears throat> um, I think it's important to get in a room full of guys that fight and train with them and roll and spar. And you'll know. I mean, if, if you go into a room full of guys and you're sparring, and you, you'll know what level you're on. It's something that's kind of undeniable. You just go in a room, put the gloves on, and see where you stand. That, that's what I love about this sport is its honesty. That was the first thing that drew me to it was like, watching television and it was all lies and then the ufc came on i was like holy smokes that's the stuff right there and uh, it's different now now it's entertainment but back in the day it was it was the first like it was still the last honest thing and so i think that's the proof is in the pudding i think you got to go and you got to test yourself and, and uh against tough guys and you should compete i think before anybody does mma they should do a grappling tournament like probably more than one Yi no gi, it doesn't matter get out there and do it grappling's grappling wrestling you should probably do a wrestling tournament um you wear the singlet uh, it's i don't know i didn't want to do it but do it uh it probably wouldn't hurt the box it probably wouldn't hurt the kickbox you know what i mean it's all amateur you may as well get some experience those continuous kickboxing tournaments that all the kickboxing clubs host jump into them you know what i mean those those are really important experiences that you can have to get you ready and if, if you're not winning them you're probably not ready to go in it to do mma yet you know what i mean and that, that's what we did back in the day. That's something that our, our coaches at BDB, Nick and Brian, always made us do. Was we had to, they had a number at the time. We had to do this many kickboxing tournaments, this many grappling tournaments. And um, I don't know that people are that strict about it anymore. But, but I'll tell you, it was a great way to, to develop a base before you get into the cage. Man, I mean, I love that. I think especially in a sport like that where there's so many different disciplines, right? It's like if you know that you've got some real skill in every one of those disciplines – because that's obviously a big factor too, right? Guys come from a kickboxing background and then they come in and they're just trying to kickbox, but then they meet that first guy that just takes them down and wrestles them all day. And then all of a sudden they go, Oh crap. Like, you know, there's more to this than just kickboxing. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's pressure. great. First time yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's one thing when you don't have to worry about getting taken down or anything else like that, but to be able to have at least a background, you know, it's cool. Like even talking again with Mac, obviously his background is striking, but you know, talking to him lately about, you know, learning how to just use the wrestling to kind of get back to his feet so he can be in his world. And it's just like, it's a cool approach to the game of like understanding that it's like, yeah, he's going to be able to wrestle when he has to. It's like, but his goal is going to be 
wrestle enough to stand back up because he knows that's where he wants to win the fight right and like it's uh it's just it's such a cool sport in that way that you know you've got to learn how to use all the disciplines but you got to learn how to use them for you yeah yeah it's definitely yeah. And uh, then from the coaching side, obviously, you know, when you've got young fighters, I'm sure you run into guys being, you know, extra nervous for their first fight, not being sure, like after they sign the, after they sign the agreement, you know, not being sure if this is really what they're, you know, am I really doing this? Like getting a little bit nervous, getting a little bit scared. You know, how do you deal with that from a coaching standpoint, you know, for any athletes that maybe are sitting in that position where they've, they've signed the dotted line, they're ready to fight. And then now they're sort of second guessing themselves. Like what would your, what would your advice be to them going into those competitions? Yeah, that's always fun. It's always fun when you don't have to do it right. When the fight's like a, an idea, it's fun. But then when you sign a contract and it's two weeks away, people start to get a tight little pucker. Um, the, the two tools I use primarily to deal with that are uh, breathing. Um, I, I do a little bit of breath myself. And honestly, like, it's not complicated. If you just do two deep breaths, you deep breathe deep into your belly, a nice deep breath, and let it out really slowly. Do that two times. It'll get you out of your head, out of your brain and into the rest of your body. Um, and the second thing is I read a book a long time ago. Um, I maybe had anger management problems when I was young and it was called the relaxation response. And um, it was a game changer for me. It was, it was written by Dr. Herbert Benson. Uh, he was a Harvard doctor and, and he talked about, um, he was studying, hypertension like high blood pressure and he wondered why north americans had higher rates of high blood pressure and um everybody thought it was diet at the time and he suspected it wasn't so he did some studies to prove that it wasn't and uh, it was chronic stress it was like firing of our stress response response chronically and he found that that if you did uh, if you evoked a relaxation response which is your body's natural um, opposite of the stress response two times a day you can really offset that damage and so it's something that um I do myself. I, I meant, I've talked to some of the guys about it. Some of them do it. Um, some of them don't, but it's a, it's a book worth checking out. It's called the relaxation response. It's old, um, really holds up though. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that was like breath work and all of that. It's funny. The first couple of times I heard about, you know, people practicing breathing, I just thought it was ridiculous. It was like, you know, like we breathe every minute of every day. Why do we need to practice how we breathe? And then as I read a little more into it, right. Uh, then I started realizing what kind of effect it can have. And it's, uh, it's been a real game changer for me too. Like just simple practices, things like that. Like you said, like just taking those two deep breaths and then kind of moving on. Like it, it's amazing how well it works for something so simple. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great tip for, you know, like fighters, especially, but athletes of any sport, you know, you're getting nervous before competition. These are a couple of things that you can do just to kind of keep yourself centered, keep yourself focused and keep the eye on the ball. Right. Yeah, self-talk's another one. We, we talk a little bit about self-talk and making sure that the voice in your head is on your team. That's something that, especially as a fighter, doubts creep in. You know, as the day gets closer, you start to, you know, the guy looks bigger and tougher as the day gets closer. And so you have to make sure that you're controlling that picture and that the voice in your head is is on your team and behind you, you know what I mean? And so, so that's important. Yeah, I think that's a really big one. And, you know, for anybody who maybe hasn't practiced it before, is there any any place to start? Like, is it just sort of talking through those doubts or like any practice of yours that you found has helped, especially. I like to make really simple. Um, they're almost affirmations, but just ideas that I'd put in my head. They all have to be kind of present and positive. Like I am calm. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get into it too much, but um, I, yeah, I don't know. This is probably not the best question for me right now. Uh, sorry. Oh, 
Oh, no, 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 no problem at all. I understand that. And like, uh, and yeah, I think those like just simple affirmations are really important too, though, right? It's just like, as you're, as you're getting closer, just kind of reminding yourself that you are prepared, you are ready, you've been putting the time and the effort in. And, you know, the more you kind of remind yourself of that, the more it kind of stays in your head that, you know, even if the guy looks a little bigger and tougher right now, you're good, you're ready to go for this. Ultimately, yeah, any, any negative image that comes into your head, you have to replace it with a positive one. Uh, immediately do you know what i mean it's, it's yeah absolutely yeah i like that so brad this has been an awesome interview i've really enjoyed kind of hearing more about you know your experiences as a fighter and just sort of the evolution of mma as a whole it's been a sport i've been following a lot over the past few years and just to kind of hear you know you've been around from the early days and just how that's how that's all changed has been really cool but uh keeping the goal of the show in mind of you know what it takes to create success for an athlete do you feel like there's anything we missed? Anything that you'd want to touch on a little bit more? Uh, conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. That, that's probably your, your best weapon. You know, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. Frank Shamrock proved it back in the day. He was the first one to prove it. Um, I, I think you need to always be learning. Uh, I, think, I think white belt mentalities is very important. Uh, martial arts it can get, you know, we're all guilty of it. We get a little bit caught up in ourselves and, and whatever else, but you have to remember to keep learning. You have to remember to, regardless of the color of your belt, keep putting on the white belt mentality. You can learn from everybody. Keep learning. The sports evolved so much. I mean, it went from back in the day, you could just know jujitsu and beat everybody. And now with modern MMA, there's no way those guys it's evolved. It's changed so much. Um, so you always have to keep learning. Um, and I think you need to surround yourself with, with good people that are competitive and that push you people that you like, people that you can train safely with. And uh, I think that's probably it. I love that, man. I think that white belt mentality and, you know, actually funny enough, it reminded me again of uh, Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa, that fight we were talking about right at the start here. It was, you know, I remember Izzy came out that whole week too, because Costa's big thing was, you know, well, I'm a black belt in jujitsu, so you don't stand a chance. And he was like, yeah, man, I'm a white belt for life. And like, I just remember hearing that white belt for life. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And like, that just applies across the board too, right? Like no matter what you're getting into, you keep that mindset of I'm right at the bottom and I've got everything to learn and you're just going to keep skyrocketing to the top. Yeah. You never want to be the expert. You never want to be the smartest guy in the room. I don't think. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so if anybody's looking to get in touch with you about, you know, something they heard here or just for any other reason, whether they want to start come, come start training with you or anything else, what's the best way for them to go about that? Uh, you can check out my website, cardinalmma.ca. Uh, I'm on Instagram at cardinalmma, or you can email me, um, bcardinal78 at gmail.com. I'm not very into email, but you can send me an email. It's cool. Sounds good. I'll make sure all of that's linked in the notes too. Okay. Thanks, man. We're at the gym at the Calgary Central Sportsplex. If you want to pop by and see us too, we're always there training. So, Awesome. Well, Brad, thank you again. This has been, uh, this has been a great interview. I've really enjoyed it a lot. And everybody else listening, this has been the Elite Development Podcast with Brad Cardinal and Kenny Dusso. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.